Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are, if I'm not mistaken, still in this long Rashi that we have been working on for quite some time. We decided that we were going to relieve Rebecca of her duties because she was already on it for more than a session. Um, and it's a, it's a very long Rashi that I'm certain we'll finish today and then move forward. So we're on chapter three of the book of Exodus, Shmot. Um, it's verse 12. I'll read the verse again to get us going. I'll synopsize the parts of the Rashi that I think we o- already read. I believe I know where we picked up and then I'll assign someone to keep going. So the verse is um, from God's mouth to Moshe when uh, we've said this several times, but to repeat, when Rashi reads the question in the previous verse, verse 11, as a double question by Moshe, question number one, who am I? Am I worthy of this task? And question two, who are they that they are worthy of my removing them from this bondage? So therefore, Rashi has to answer that verse 12 is an answer to both questions. Again, that's slightly against Pshat or maybe more than slightly against Pshat. The verse itself, God said, I will be with you. This is the sign or the um, indication. That I have sent you. In your taking out of the um, people from Egypt. You will worship the God, which is, of course, I, because God is speaking, on this mountain. So we've already been given this indication that where Moshe is standing in this burning bush is where Sinai is to be. We talked about how Sinai and Sneh um, are evocative of one another. And again, the pshat seems to be that it's one concept. Rashi is going to read it as two concepts answering both questions. We got through the part of the Rashi that says that uh, the, the verse 12 answers Moshe's first question first and second question second. What was the first question? Who am I? And the answer is, who are you? Don't worry, I will be with you. And the second question, who are they? Well, they are destined to come worship me on this mountain. So they're going to get, they're going to show me their fealty and their retroactive, retroactively having deserved to be um, saved from Egypt because they're going to be in a relationship with me, right? And we talk about how that's both like a lovely idea and sort of somewhat self-serving of the divine that what's in it, the, the reason why they are worthy is because they are willing to be bound to me, right? That actually makes some sense in relationship, but it also represents a God that who, who needs to be worshiped, right? Um, in order for God to be God. And of course, that makes sense. Without anyone worshiping a God, there is no God. So we, we could go down that um, theological rabbit hole for quite some time. I think that that's where we um, ended up, that we're about to start the Davar Acher, which is about halfway through this long Rashi. Does anyone disagree that that's where we are based on the last time we came together? I don't think we got farther than that. I disagree. Okay. I, wrote, I wrote down in my notes that we're at, we're at the min- Oh, yes, Tavarachir, sorry. Yeah, but since you're unmuted, Larry, do you want to read? Sure. <clears throat> and reminding everybody methodologically, when Rashi has a Tavarachir, it's, it's slightly different than a 
Vyesh Midrash, he's basically saying that there's another way of reading this very verse. Sometimes his Devar Acher is very Acher. It's very different than his first one. This one is only subtly different, and there are super commentaries on Rashi that try to make very clear what is Acher, what is different about his second comment in contradistinction to his first comment. So with that in mind, go ahead, Larry. That's it. Uh, keep going. Uh, keep going? Yeah. Lecha haot al haftacha acheret. Like pause there. There's a comma there, and see what you can do with that so far. Okay, um, because I will be with you. Which is a quote. Which is a quote from the verse. Okay, ki ani ki I will be with you. Yeah, but then he goes. Oh, so you've you've taught us. I forget what it was called. This was not necessarily Rashi. Why they included the vizeh here? I'm not really sure. Um, because that, that phrase is, I will be with you, and that. And then it breaks and says, um, okay. Um, well, well, because the, are you reading from, are you reading from our, our book? Oh, I was cheating. You're right. No, I am. Yeah. Our book is the same. Yeah, right. our book is the same. So if you look at the verse itself, it, it, even though it's not clear 100% that the, that the starting words of the comments are Rashi's. Here it does make sense because what Rashi's going to do is, you see how in the verse itself, God said, God said, I will be with you. And this for you is a sign. And you see in the word, it's actually one word. It's hyphenated. It only has one truck, right? It has a munach on it, right? And what Rashi is going to do is basically say that now interpolated words, that, that, that's why it's interrupted in the comment, that this, this what, Rashi will tell us, is for you the sign, as if there was, a, there was an implied this in between the vezeh and l'chahot. So now read that inside, vezeh. So wait, you want, me, you want me to read the Rashi now? Yeah, so zeh, and what's the zeh, what's the this that God is, is, is making reference to? Shetatzliach. Shetatzliach be? Shlich, sorry. I don't have it here. Bishlichutcha. Right. So this thing, and what is the thing? Your shlichut, that you'll succeed in your mission. Right. So this thing, and I'm giving away a bit of the story here, which hasn't happened yet. This thing, the fact that you will indeed be successful in your mission, lecha haot. Ah, this will be a sign for you. Correct. It's on the promise on the other, haftacha acheret, the other haftacha, the other promise or assurance. Right, on another promise. And what is that? Shani. All right, hold on a second. Shani maftichacha. Ah, 
Okay, so that the other the other one is that I will um, will promise you, will assure you that when you take them out of Egypt, to Avdun Oti, you will is that what's it? Worship, yeah, you will worship yep. you, you worship me on this mountain. About seven more words. Okay. that they will receive the Torah on it. Vihi um and that's the the, the merit how immediately Israel that will stand for Israel. Right, stand here kind of like that is that, that Israel is poised to receive. Okay. According to this Davarachir. What's the answer to the first question of the previous verse? And what's the answer to the second question in the previous verse? Diane, Larry, or anyone? I'll leave it to someone else. <laughs> Barry? Well, God, God's ode to uh, Moshe is the burning bush. That's all he gets. Um, the, the, the big uh, ode is the success for God, that because what Moshe is going to do, the people are going to come up and serve God uh, and get the Torah. So all, 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 all Moshe gets is the bush. So close. You're, in that response period, there's slight conflating of the first comment of Rashi and the second one. In the first comment of Rashi, you're exactly right that what's the sign? This miraculous thing you're seeing here is the sign. Just like I've made the bush do my will, I can make Pharaoh do my will. What's subtly different here is that in the, you, you, there's no reference to the sneh, to the bush in the Devarachir. The oat, the sign, is instead of something that you're seeing now, a miraculous image, the oat is something that's going to happen, which is a weird thing to say. This is your sign, but there's no this. This was about to happen, that you're going to go into Egypt, you're going to pull them out, and you're going to succeed. That will be your sign that... Um, that this is real and that they're going to come out and worship me on the mountain, right? So according to Rashi here, the answer to the first question is, who am I? Who am I? The answer is that that you're going to see, Moshe, that I'm with you by the fact that you're going to be successful. So you're not going to know it before you go. You're going to know it afterwards, right? And who are they? Same answer. They are the ones who are going to serve me on the mountain. The you know, subtle I difference that... Go ahead. I, I, I see a parallel at, um, in, in, in God's wor, wor, um, discussion with uh, Yaakov uh, going to Levan. Uh, don't, don't worry, I'll be with you. Um, uh, God sort of stretches our, our capability. We, 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 we humans need to see now what the real is. God's time is different than our time. And, and God often forgets that we need something more than what God sees. Good. And that comment will also the Rashi on verse 14, if we get that far today. And let me just make this last comment. And then I see three hands up. It's not such a significant difference, but it's a subtle difference that whereas in the first comment of Rashi, the sign is the thing that Moshe is witnessing this moment. Ah, Moshe will be reassured. It's worthy going on this mission because he now sees that he's in the presence of a miraculous God. In the second one, as Barry kind of alluded to, the sign will require some kind of faith in order to achieve because you've got to go do the first part of the act before the oath is, 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 is um, apparent. You will not 
see this oat, this sign, until you actually see that you're successful, right? So I can, I'm only convincing you by what I promise you is going to happen. And that first promise is going to lead to the second promise, right? It's a different way of saying what, 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 the, what the proof is. The proof is what's going to happen, not what has already happened. Okay, Norman, Rachel, and then Renee, and then Leonard, Rebecca. In some ways, God here reminds me, or maybe he inspires um, people who sell investments because they always want you to make your investment and the proof that it's a good investment will be that you're going to make money. <laughs> and some of them will tell you, oh, make a smaller investment, which always seems outlandishly expensive to me. And when it does well, then you'll put even more of your money with me because you'll know that I'm the real McCoy, so to speak. And in some ways, God is doing the same thing. He's saying the proof will come later. Have faith blind faith, and it should work. Of course, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that really does work. With stock brokers, that's a really helpful comment. It's very helpful because it, it, it reifies the distinction between Rashi's first comment and second comment, which, which is subtle in the words, but your example makes it more clear, right? That, that there are places in our human interaction where the, the promise is going to come and then once that promise comes, because it came, you're willing to invest more, right? So that's really, um, really apt. Thank you for that. Uh, Renee? So I think it's also a reminder to Moshe that Hashem is reminding him that Moshe's purpose here is just that he's just the instrument that's going to make whatever happen happen. He's not the one that's causing it. He's just God's helper. Right, God's helper. And in the second comment, Moshe, I'm thinking of this peril actually in real time. In the second comment, God is basically indicating to Moshe, just like you are going to be sent into Egypt and convince the Israelites to follow you without yet being able to show them proof that you're going to be successful, right? Your message to the Israelites is also going to be, trust me, and you'll see that it's going to work out. That's my message to you, Moshe. Whereas in the first comment of Rashi, God is already proving to Moshe the miraculousness via the burning bush. And that should convince Moshe to like, to take on this, this, this task because Moshe is with a, you know, a, um, a powerful and worthy God. Right? So in the second one, there's more of a parallel to what Moshe is going to be experiencing when he tries to convince the Israelites who also will be dubious in the very beginning. Show me the proof. Leonard, Rebecca, then Sue. It's interesting that the emphasis is on um, uh, bringing them, uh, the emphasis is on them worshiping on the mountain and receiving Torah. The emphasis is not on bringing them out of Egypt as if that's a big sign or a big miracle. That's just incidental. When you bring them out of Egypt, then they'll be here uh, to worship mm-hmm. on the mountain and receive Torah. So that's really the, the state of uh, uh, freedom and normalcy that we're striving towards. So it kind of, it sounds like in this sentence, it de-emphasizes the coming out of Egypt, which is interesting because in a lot of ways, we really emphasize the coming out of Egypt in our, in our worship and such. Right. Right. The, the coming out of Egypt in this construct is the proof that is the oath is, is the proof that this is going to work. And the worshiping of the, of God is why they were worthy of it in the first place. They're worthy of it because they're going to be willing to, to, to worship me here. Of course, we just passed, we, in, you know, in, in our Parsha cycle, just passed Parsha Kitisa. We know that they don't 
really showed their worthiness immediately at that mountain. So that's besides the point in this in this particular setting. Um, and the 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 right. So the, the the emerging from Egypt successfully is a sign that God is God, and they're worshiping God in Mount Sinai is a sign that Israel is deserving of being Israel. So it's not that I'm not sure that it's that one is emphasized more than the other. It's just that in this Rashi, they signify different things, right? That the emergence from Egypt signifies God's might and God's character. And their agreeing to the marriage at Mount Sinai signifies Israel's character. Uh, Sue. Um, two, two thoughts. One is kind of to follow on Norm's thing about investments. The thing is, is that, well, I don't know about all of you, but I've had plenty of experiences where it has gone one way and the other way. So it's definitely, you know, it's, it, it's out there, which really made me think about um, how, how the Torah seems to lead us through uh, an exploration of the human condition that we are constantly tested. And we over and over are, uh, what is required of us really as Jews and as all of our, uh, you know, all of our ancestors have had to do. And that is um, to, to take that risk and take that leap of faith. And we're tested over and over and over again, which means that we, that's, I think it's just um, kind of highlights that this is the condition of our, probably everyone, but for us from the Torah, this is the condition of our people. We will continue to be tested over and over again. And um, um, what's required of us are a lot of leaps of faith, I think. Yeah, on some level, this is present um, at at every chuppah, including the one that Barbara referenced in the beginning on Sunday, that what's, I put this ring on your finger, and what's the sign that it's going to have been a good decision? It's coming. The sign is coming. I, you're going to see a month from now, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, that I was a worthy choice for you, because I'm going to show you that with my actions. I, mean, I, I can't give you proof yet. Right? Any, any couple who thinks they already have proof that the other is worthy is romantically deluding themselves, right? They, they, they've, they've got some indication, they don't have proof, right? The proof is actually what's going to happen, not what has happened. And I think that that's a more mature way of understanding kind of any relationship. Um, so as you dig apart this Rashi, the, the, because Rashi chose to see in the previous verse two questions by Moshe, and because Rashi chose to answer it two different ways, he's really laying out two entirely or, or not entirely, but, but certainly very different ways of understanding how confident you can be in a relationship, either with a person or with God. In the first one, show me the proof. I'll follow you. Okay, I'll show you the proof. Here, the burning, the bush, the bush is burning so, and not being consumed. Is that enough proof for you? Yeah, I'll follow you. In the second one, what's the proof? You'll see this mission that I'm sending you on is going to be successful. Do you trust or do you not trust? So it ends up being a really interesting paradigm for, um, for relationships of, of merit and endurance. Um, now, because this second concept is more interesting and, 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 and more, it's more delicate, Rashi has to bring a proof text for it because it's more obvious to say that the zeh, zelacha ha'od, this is the sign, is, as Barry said, the burning bush. That's his first comment. But to suggest that the zeh, this, 
is not referring to anything that is right here, right? Both in Hebrew and in English, this means this here, right? So to say that means coming up, Rashi needs a proof text. So back to you, Larry. Where'd you go? Did Larry disappear? I'm I'm here and I have a small problem. And that's that the proof text, um, am I reading this wrong? It says that it's supposed to be from Yeshayahu. Ah, so what is that reference? It's, it's 30, verse, verse 7? No. Well, first, first read it, and then we'll answer your question. Okay. Start with the dugma. The dugma, so for an example, that language we find. Um, Right. And for, by the way, Rashi's being a little bit clever here. For the lang- for, for an example of this language, and yeah. it's this language of the use of the word this, right? Lashon dugmat ze matzinu, yeah. Right. Um, and the quote is, V'ze lecha ha'ot achol hashana safiach v'chuli. And that will so be... Let me share the screen. Let me actually share the screen so we can see it. Uh, that that text inside. One second. Oops. Okay. So this is from the thirty seventh chapter of Yeshayahu, verse thirty. And some of the background you need to know, and that's why in our text there's um, there's two verses actually referenced. And uh, not in, in, that double reference is not present in every version of Rashi. The first one in the parentheses, Mem Bet, that's Malachim Bet, second book of Kings, chapter 19, verse 29. That's the historical reference to the moment in Israelite history that's being discussed. But the quote is from Isaiah, who is referring to it, referring to it prophetically, right? So what's the historical moment? Um you know, if for people who know a little bit about ancient Israelite history, we know Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, right? The Babylonian king who destroyed Jerusalem, for which we get the first of the destructions of the temple that Tisha B'Av commemorates. But before that, right, when the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, supposed to the kingdom of Judea, was, um, you know, sent into exile and, and, and um, became lost, that was not the Babylonians from the east. It was the Assyrians from the north, the northeast. And the main dude was Sancherib, Sennacherib, if you're reading it in like an English history. Um, and that came in 722 um, uh, BCE. And then he came back again in 701. And I don't want to go into a long story of it. He tried to uh, take the southern kingdom. He failed because he woke up one morning and he saw that a plague had um, had, had, had come upon his troops. He considered that to be a sign that the kingdom of Judea was impenetrable and turned around and went backwards. Had he not, by the way, Sancherev was considered a much more brutal ancient dictator than Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took us into exile, but sustained us in by the waters of Babylon. When Sennacherib came and smote, he smote completely. Had he been successful in 701, in taking over this the um, southern kingdom, then it's very likely that that would have been the end of us, just like many ancient kingdoms that came and went, 
right? So some people say that what didn't happen in 701 is much more significant in terms of Jewish history and Jewish reality than what did happen in 722 and 580s. So that's what's being referenced here, Sancherev. And Isaiah prophesies about when Sancherev will eventually um, have his downfall. So read the verse, Larry, now on the screen. Okay, Vizelacha Hazot Aho Hashana Safiach, Vibeshana Hashanit, Shechis U Vashna Vashana Hashrishit, Ziru Vikits Vikitru Vinitu Hiramim Vichlu Farim Fafrayam. Okay, and, and either translate or read the translation. It's not an easy verse to translate. Well, actually, I looked in the altar, so that was what I was going to say before about finding, uh, finding the verse. So okay. it says, and this will be a sign for you. Um, eat in the, in, uh, eat, eat this year. Now, the word safiach is actually meaning after growth. It's what grows in a field after you've planted one year and you've harvested if you don't plant the next year, something comes up the next year, sometimes called volunteer, volunteer crops. So he's, so he's saying, eat the aftergrowth next year after they destroy the fields. And in the second year, um, shechis, I'm not sure the shechis. Oh, uh, shechis is the biblical Hebrew word to describe what grows after the safiach, right? Okay. So there were so many, just like the Eskimos have many words for snow, Israelite, agricultural Hebrew had many words for what we might just consider growth, right? So Safiyah was what grew after nothing, whether destruction or fallow. And Shachis is what grew after Safiyah. Good. So that, so the, he's telling them that they, they're going to eat what grows naturally for two years, one after another. But in the third year, um, um, you, you'll seed and then you'll harvest um, you'll, yeah, you'll, 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 you'll harvest the, um, the, the vineyards and you'll eat from their fruit. Like normal, like by the third year, you'll be normal farmers again. You'll have a, had an, had an opportunity to, um, plant <coughs> uh, uh, and, and harvest. But the first two years after Sancherov is gone, a miracle will occur, Isaiah is saying, and the land will produce enough safiach and shachis for you to subsist anyway. So that's what Isaiah is saying. N- now go back to the Rashi and read the rest of the Rashi and then see if we can explain it. Okay, is that from Miblat? Mapelet, I would, I don't have the, the, the uh, voweled version, but I think it would be Mapelet or Mapalat. Mapalat, okay, Mapalat, Sancheriv, Tielecha Ot Al Haftacha Acheret. So um, I'm not sure what, Mapa, what, what Mapalat means, but something like. Downfall from the root, the root is Nafal, but the Nun. Ah, the downfall of Sancheriv will be for you a sign on the, pro, on the other promise. Um, He's right. referring, obviously, yeah, right. Um, 
מפירות, ואני אברך הספיחים. אוקיי, סטוף הגיב עד איזה אבייסי. That uh, your land, your, your hungry land, your, um, yeah, um, famished land, your land of famine, um, from, you, your land will not, ha- will, I don't know how to translate that. Your land will be hungry from fruit. I would say, I would say not hungry, but like desolate from, like charev, destroyed yeah, from. It will be like, a famine. It will be, it will be, a be desolate with respect. Right. Right, will be will be desolate from 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 it'll be it'll be devastated, and I will promise the aftergrowth because right. that's what that, isn't that that's from the Safia. Right, is my audio bad? Am I going in and out? No, no, it's fine. Can people hear? Oh, okay. Um, right. So Rashi gives his explanation of the verse from Isaiah, and then we'll have to construct how that's an explanation of the larger point of this being a similar example to the one in our verse, right? So what's his explanation of the verse from Isaiah? That, that Sancherov's downfall is going to be an indication to you that of a second... So I'm going to promise two things. I promise that Sancherov is going to go away. And when that happens, you don't believe me? It's going to happen. And when it does happen, that's going to augur a second promise. What's the second promise? That... A land totally desolate from Sancherev's devastation of it will still provide for you because the Sfichim, which are normally just a nothing, will be enough to take care of the whole country. So Isaiah is speaking to the Israelites in a time when Sancherev has not yet been deposed. He's still a threat. And, he, and Isaiah says that God is saying, I promise you two things. I promise you that, San, that, that Sancherev is going to go down. That's the sign. What is it a sign of? It's a sign that the land will produce bounty even when it looks like it will not. So then my question to you all is, and maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not, is how is this a dogma for Rashi, like a proof text for the scene that we are in in, in Shmot? Uh, well, it's, it's, clear, it's clear that it's clear that that the pharaoh is the equivalent then of uh, uh, what's his name? San, San, San Jerez. Can I say it in Hebrew? In any case, he's, he's, he's going to be the downfall. But what is the aftergrowth that I'm less sure of? I would say that Rashi is saying, so I, I'm not sure that it's, exact, it's, a, it's, a, it's as exact a parallel as you're suggesting. I think it's a lighter parallel the lighter parallel is Rashi saying, see, reader, elsewhere in the Tanakh, like in Isaiah, God says, vis-a-vis something that hasn't happened yet. I think that's the end of the, of the parallelism. I think to draw a closer parallelism would be a stretch. And Rashi says, therefore, my explanation of our, our, this is your sign, referring not to something which has already happened, burning bush, but something that's about to happen, they're going to come out successfully, has, par- has, um, a, a, um, um, no, has a, uh, another example of it in Bible. Not, not, a, not something that's already happened, but something that's about to happen. Um, Rick and then Barry. Precedent. That's the word. It's not pre- precedent. Except that it's not a precedent because obviously Sancherev and Isaiah happen after Pharaoh in Egypt, but there is another moment in the Bible where a zelachahot 
refers to something that's gonna happen, not has happened. Rick? I, uh, two things. One, um, the, the three years um, recalls to me the three months that threw me before a couple of weeks ago. Lesof uh, mm. when they're coming out of Egypt. So maybe the threes uh, connected for uh, Rashi as well. Um, mm. The other thing was at the end of Silverman here, um, the land shall bring forth its abundance. The, it cites Exodus Rabbah three, and um, I don't I don't know why that's sitting there. Uh, is that a typo? I mean, later on, there's an Exodus Rabbah three on verse fifteen, but um, I'm just asking the question: uh, Did we is part of this from Exodus Rabbah? Or is that a mistake? Um, you went out for a second. Are, are you saying that? The, are you reading the footnote? Is that what you're referring to? No, the translation of Rashi, um, but right before verse 14 starts, it, it quotes, it cites Exodus Rabbah 3 for what just came before. But it, that was off from Isaiah, right? So I don't know what the Exodus Rabbah 3 is. So I was just asking. Okay, so if you look at... So if you look at footnote 88 in our editions, you'll see at the end of footnote 88, there is a quote from Shmot Rabbah, Exodus Rabbah, chapter 3, verse 5, that's, that's, that's Midrash, which is at least one of the sources from which Rashi gets this commentary. So Isaiah oh. is the proof text, but Shmot Rabbah, the oh, Midrash... got it from there. Okay, is, okay. ...is the Midrashic collection that Rashi is inspired by. Okay. Maybe, right? Because all of that annotation is a guess at looking at all the potential Midrashic sources that Rashi might have been using. Uh, Barry, your hand was up before. Are you still pending? Yeah. So um, it, it, the, 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 I, I'm seeing in, in the, the footnote on Rashi's thing here that, that the, the land will be barren when they come in, but don't worry, there'll be food for you. But it's it, it, again stretching Moshe as a human being, his ability to accept the reality of this. God's time is 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 now and future all as one, and and sees that in in future there'll be times of difficulty, and during times of difficulty there'll there'll be food. Don't worry, but that's kind of beyond. It's it's a stretch beyond. The capability of of Moshe and Israelite now in their current reality to that 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 the sign will be don't worry uh, there'll be food for you. Uh, right. That's it's, it's insufficient proof. Right, or it's exactly sufficient proof, and that's what that's what God wants. According to this midrash, God wants the Moshe and Israelites to start getting used to, which is that um, the the that the, this is all the proof you're going to get. And and do you still say I do? Because and God, and, and, and God God gets the the sense of our inability when Moshe's up on the mountain too long, and we have to have something. Yeah. Um, interesting comment by Rebecca in the chat. Yes, I, I to earn your vote, I promise you this. But the promise is something that I haven't done yet. But that's that's how, that's how I'm getting you to say yes to me. Great. Um, Tova, Diane, Larry, and Joanna. Oh, 
Uh, yeah, I was thinking that the Isaiah quotes is actually a fairly precise parallel because what he seems to be saying is uh, in, in the promise that Sennacherib is going to fall. Why is he going to fall? Because I'm with you in the same way that he's saying this is the sign is that you are going to be successful because I am with you. Mm-hmm. And then a people who have been questioned, their merit has been questioned, who are a barren people, will bear fruit at Sinai and worship just as the barren land will bear fruit as I have promised. So I think Lovely. it's actually a, a parallel. Lovely. Thank you for that. That was great. Uh, Joanna? I'm thinking about the, you you know, could we substantiate this for every use of the word oat? And what's coming to mind is, you know, it would be really interesting to go back and read in Sefer Breshit, Rashi's commentary on when oat appears. Like some examples that come to mind is the oat of the rainbow. Um, I believe Brita Bena Bitarim, the... the that um, sacrifice that Abraham did of splitting animals into two was also called an oat and circumcision. And as far as I can put it together in my own head without having looked back, I don't think so. I think those were very, you know, those signs were the signs that you could actually see right now. And so this is a whole shift in what oat is, which is why it needs to be so elaborated on. Yeah, and so with that in mind, also going back to Kitisa, I wonder how that helps us read Otili Olam regarding Shamru, mm. right? Because the promise of a Shamru, right? If we if we do Pshat on the on the on the verse in the Torah, not just the song, Shabbat, the Israelites will observe the Shabbat. Um, um, they are going to do Shabbat going forward. Um, between me and the Israelites, it's like it'll, it'll always about to be a promise going forward. That the fact, the fact that they keep doing it will show itself that the Israelites were willing to be in relationship with me. But it's it's what's it's the it's the Shabbatot they're about to observe, not the ones they already have observed. If we read that oath the way Rashi's reading this oath, Rachel Joanna, uh, Diane, Larry. I want to make two two references and then a comment on Rashi. This reminds me of a time when I was a, a student, a graduate student, and I misread a question, and I answered what I thought was a brilliant answer to the wrong question. And the professor wrote on me, this is a really good insight, but this is not at all what I was asking. Um, <laughs> and it also reminds me of the link that I sent to you, but not to everybody else, which was the... Um, What's his name? Nielsen. That you sent that one link um, about um, a locksmith and a locksmith. And then the yes. next video that came up on my screen was another very funny Leslie Nielsen, where he, he and another guy are interrogating a criminal, and behind them the guy is bringing lunch, and the conversations get mixed up, but they fit in perfectly. The answers are responding to the questions, just to the wrong questions. And I think that's what's going on here. But not only Rashi, but between God and Moses, is they're getting mixed up. God started off telling Moses, well, Moses sees the burning bush and says, what's going on here? And God says, well, I've heard the plight of the Israelites. I'm going to free them, and I'm going to send you to free them. And then Moses asks a simple question, well, who the hell am I? 
And God doesn't quite hear the question because he's still thinking about freeing the Israelites. And he's asking about, he's answering the sign, well, what's going to be the Israelites? And all Moses wants to know is, who am I? And, what the, and he's going to say in a second, what am I going to tell these people? They're talking across purposes. And Rashi then uses this as an excuse. And what I, have, I happen to think is one of the weakest Rashis we've ever read to, to, to go off in a completely different direction. So I find none of this Rashi really responsive to the story that I'm reading in the shot of the text. Mm. That's my, my commentary. Hmm. I'm thinking that your comment maybe gives, gives more contours to why later on in this scene, Moshe is going to repeat and be more explicit about what his own nervousness is, that he's, you know, that he's, that he's kvad lashon, that he's heavy of tongue, and that he's, he's really nervous about standing in front of Pharaoh, which maybe suggests on the shot level that, that God has not heard Moshe's basic nervousness or vulnerability. Or also relating to something Avi, uh, Avi talked about yesterday in the, in the uh, Siddur class. Moses is basically saying, what are my credentials? When we say the first paragraph of the, of the Amidah, we present our credentials. Who am I? I, I, I? I'm the guy who's my ancestors are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. That's how I have the permission to come and talk to you. And Moses is asking, or is going to be asking, but he is asking already. He says, well, when I go to talk to the people, and I suppose by inference also maybe to Pharaoh, who am I going to, you know, what credentials am I going to present? And God's off talking about what's going to happen in the future and what's going to be a sign in the future. Moses is not worried about the far future. He's worried about the near future. And he was right to worry about it because the people didn't necessarily accept him and Pharaoh didn't necessarily accept him. Yeah. But that comment will also become relevant when we read verse 14 on the Rashi on that verse 14, this, this just a little bit of a preview, the, the, distinction between current concerns and concerns in the future. Listen, I often think that you know, Rashi complicates in an interesting way, but complicates a rather simple set of verses. Meaning, I think if you ignore Rashi, it's more the case that God's answer responds to Moshe's question, right? Moshe's question is, is not two questions in the shot. Moshe's question is, who am I? And God's answer is, "Who are you? Don't worry, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to take him out, and they're going to and they're and they're going to worship me here. It's all going to work out." And then God is indeed hearing Moshe's question, and Moshe, God's answer is, "You're with me. You got nothing to worry about." Now, it's not a specific response to Moshe's um, concern, but Moshe also hasn't articulated specific concerns yet. That's going to come up. So if we if 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 we ignore Rashi, sorry Rashi, then I think the couplet works in its own way. The couplet of verses, Rashi just thickens it and makes it you know less straightforward and more interesting, but but maybe less defensible. Barry, and then we'll move forward. You know, it it just seems like a a real test of of God. God's God's space and time is is like way beyond anything we can comprehend, can't even ask questions about. And, and here's God trying to communicate with Moshe. Uh, it, it's a real stretch for God to, to communicate to, to Moshe. So that they, yeah, they are different realities for sure. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Barry. All right. Let's read verse uh, 13 and try to sort of ignore the last 40 minutes 
and try to read verse 13, at least first, with the flow of the Peshat, not the flow of the Rashi, which kind of doubles the, Rashi doubles the amount of conversations happening in the previous two verse. Let's now read verse 13, assuming that God's Moshe's question was, who am I that I should do this? And God says, don't worry, you're with me, it's all going to work out. Okay, verse 13, how about, uh, who have I heard from today? Um, Carol, are you there? Do you want to read? Can you, are you in a place where you can read? Uh, yes. Great. Bayomer Moshe El Elohim, Hine Anochiva El Bene Israel, Va Martilahem, Elohe Avotechem Shlachani Alechem, the Amruli Mashmo Ma Amar Alechem. This, before you translate, we see here in this verse kind of a wonder of biblical Hebrew and terse biblical Hebrew. There are three full sentences articulated in this one verse. And it's, and it's said in such an economy of words. Okay. Although change, changing tenses, I see. Um, right. Changing tenses, but all, but getting it all done with one etnachta and one sof pasuk. In fact, between the etnachta, as you're about to translate, and the sof pasuk, we have two full sentences in quotation marks. True. All right. Um, uh, and, and Moses said, said to God, I mean, I, I know we would usually say behold, but I'm kind of like, so let me get this straight. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I come to the children of Israel and I said to them, or I, you know, I say to them. It's Vav Haipuch, so I will say to them. I will, I, will, I will say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you and they will say to me, what's his name? What, what? will what will i say to them what shall i say to them great i, I love your translation of the of the hine like <laughs> all right so so if if i'm if i'm going to accept your previous answer then that then 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 i have a i have a follow-up question right and um again if we take rashi out for a moment mo the shot is that god's answer to moshe's wondering about how this is going to work out is don't worry i'm going to be with you so therefore the logical question follow-up question is well are they going to buy that right am i going to transmit that to them right why why should why should they're not going to have a burning bush in front of them right why should they believe what you're asking me to believe okay um and that last the predicate of this of the sentence of the nachta the amruli mashmo here's where future tense in Hebrew, <laughs> made more complicated by the, by the Vav plays kind of a game with, with the notion of ought or should, right? You translated that last one as should, even though it's written as a future tense. They will say to me, what is his name? It's really kind of a, and when they inevitably say to me, what's his name? It's the words are, what will I say to them? But you're right that it's what should I? What, what do you want me to say to them? Everett Fox's translation of that verse, and then we'll hear um, Elon. Moshe said to God, here, Everett translates the, translates the Hine plainly here, I will come to the children of Israel, as you have indicated, God, and I will say to them, colon, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, comma, and they will say to me, what is his name, question mark? This part, Everett Fox agrees with you completely, Carol, what shall I say to them? Elon and then Andrew. 
I find it an odd question that the people would ask because I'm thinking, you know, what's his name? And if Moses says, oh, Elvis, I mean, I'm not sure what it seems that would not if I were an Israelite, that would not be the first question I would ask. It would, it's not particularly interesting or relevant. So I'm, I'm curious as to why that question. So meaning why is the question that Moshe presumes the Israelites will ask is about God's name as opposed to God's essence or God's saving power? Right. Why, well, you know, it, why is the name relevant? Isn't it more like what, what, what are his credentials is, is a much more interesting question. Yeah. You know, it's because it's so hard to read a text without knowing that you know it because my brain on just unconsciously and all of our brains know that What's about to come is a description of God's name. You can so easily gloss over what you are not glossing over, Elam, which is why is the question about God's name? Why, why is it a question? Of, and, we, and we're also so focused in Judaism about God's name and God's names and the Kaddish Baruch Hu and yod Vavhei and Elohim and Adonai. So we're in, we're in the game of God's name, but you're asking a, a question a step back. Why would, the, why would that be the Israelites' concern not what do we call him the concern would be why should we believe you that you will represent even a divinity good that 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 that, that's a good question on moshe's presumed question of the israelites andrew uh i would ask a different question as well which is is moshe kind of getting ahead of himself here by even talking about approaching the Israelites. I mean, he asked previously about Paro because God said to him, you're going to go to Paro. But unless I'm missing something, I don't see God even saying to him, hey, go to the Israelites and do X. So it's interesting that he's sort of going, you know, taking it a step further when God hasn't even asked him to do that yet, I think. Yeah, you're right, Andrew. There's an implication in verse 10 that at some point Moshe has to present this plan to the Israelites, but it's only implied, right? I'm sending you to Pharaoh and you'll bring the Israelites out. So there's an implied moment where Moshe has to actually interact with the Israelites, but it hasn't been said explicitly. And you're right that Moshe's follow-up question is not about the encounter with Pharaoh that is explicitly named, but the encounter with the Israelites that is implicitly named. That's a very interesting pickup. I never, never thought about that. Um, Tova, Diane, Larry, and then Joanna. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the request for God's name <clears throat> uh, doesn't resonate for us quite the way it would at that time, because the idea of a person's or a deity's name contained far greater power and meaning. Uh, just as the idea you create with the word, the name of the God is an aspect of that. In in Egypt, the an individual's name, which in Egyptian was Ren, was just as much an essential part of that being as their soul. It was something that encapsulated all the essence of that being. So I think there's a little bit of a disconnect in terms of the way we hear the word today, which seems much more superficial than what it would have meant when it was spoken then. Great. Thank you, Tova. That's very helpful. And if you're on our, in our, volume, if you look at the top right comment on page Lamed Hay, on the 
because our verse spans several pages, but on page Lamed Hey, the second of the two verses, second of the two pages, which our verse appears, um, Rasag, Rabbi Sadia Gaon, who does not appear on every verse, he does not have something to say in every verse, he adds something very subtle, which is, is sort of a half nod, at least to Ilan's comment, the Amruli, and they will say to me, which again, we discussed, it's hard to translate the, the, the true tense here, because ve'amruli suggests that they actually, it's a future tense verb, they will say to me, and, and Sajah adds in an if, im ish aluni, if they happen to ask me this question, which suggests that it's not clear that that's the question they would ask. So it's sort of halfway in between Elon's question and Toba's answer, right? It might be a logical question for an ancient people to ask about a God, but it's not a certainty that they're going to ask it. If they ask this question, what should I have in my back pocket as an answer? Um, I forgot which order I called in the next group. Uh, Larry, Diane, and then Joanna. First of all, you said, I think you said Lamed Hay. It's Lamed Aleph, right? Uh, what, say, what's Lamed Hay? Lamed Aleph. The page. I thought you said Lamed Hay. Maybe I misheard. Uh, you, you probably heard correctly. Lamed Aleph. My mistake. So, so I, I just want to say, in further answer to Elon's question, this was a, the society that they're coming from was a society of multiple gods. Mm. And so the question is, which god is this that that has this power to free us? Um, which, which wouldn't be at all a, an unusual question, assuming that they are somewhat assimilated into Egyptian society. Yeah. Also, the gods tended to be, I think, geographic entities. Yeah, and... Um, it seems that the Ramban is is somewhat similarly perturbed, despite your what you just said, Diane, by the same thing that Elon is. We won't read it, the whole thing; it's a, it's, a, it's a long explanation. But if you just look at the first few lines of the Ramban, which is on the previous page, page Lamed, and I know that not everyone has it in front of them. At the bottom right of page Lamed. <laughs> Omer lecha parsheni. This verse says parsheni, meaning interpret me. In 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 rabbinic parlance, we would say ze omer darsheni. This verse says, please explain me, meaning it's it's needing an explanation. It doesn't make sense. She omar Moshe that Moshe would say the amruli mashemo. Doesn't make sense that Moshe would say, hey, they're going to ask me what's his name. Liot lehem od, as if that would be a sign. She aminubo that somehow the name would, in, would help them believe him, the question about his name, and the answer, uh, is only a, sorry, is, not, is, is only a sign, it's only a sign for someone, or is not a sign for someone who doesn't believe in that God in the first place. So it, it, it's sort of, it's playing with your question, Elon. Why would that be the question? Because the answer to the question, unless they've heard of this God, is not going to help them. Now, what you could you could kind of thrust in there is if we think of like a the Israelites languishing in Egypt, they're still the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Becca, Rachel, and Leah. There's been a slumbering somnolent theology where they felt abandoned, but maybe resurrecting the God that they're that they're the three or four generations below before them believed in will give them a sense that they're not following a nothing into the desert, they're following a something. That's not present ex- explicitly in the text, text, and God's answer to this question is not that, right? God does not say, 
as we're about to see, who, what's my name? My name is Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. God doesn't say that. God says something else, which is, just to make things yet more interesting, a reason why Rashi's answer on the next verse, verse 14, is very interesting. Because you could imagine that if the Israelites ask the question, which God do you represent? That the answer should be, I represent your God, the God that you knew. But when you get came down into Egypt, you may have forgotten me because I because I we haven't been in contact. That's not God's answer, which means that God's answer itself is Omer Darshani, requires um, further explanation. Can I can I just jump in and push back a little bit? You're also serious, and maybe it's because of your referring to Leslie Nielsen a couple of weeks ago that I can't help but not be. I just take this this verse and even the next one. It, it comes out of a Monty Python or a gangster film or something like that. Is Moses is simply saying, "Yeah, let me get this straight." I go to these guys and I say, "The God of your fathers has sent me." And they, they're going to say to me, "Yeah, who is this guy that sent you? What's his name?" And then God's going to answer, "Hey, you know, you know, I am who I am. I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you my name or not. Don't tell." It's a almost comical uh, dialogue going on uh, going on here between between God and Moshe between God and Moshe. It seems it seems to me. Yeah, certainly if you did it with a um, a falsetto British accent, uh, if, <laughs> if, if John Cleese and um, Michael Palin did this, it would be hysterical. <laughs> a little bit different between Charlton Heston and which, whichever voice um, you know voiced God in the Ten Commandments. Um, we, we, we discussed this before. Tone indicates everything in terms of what words mean, right? Words without tone are subject to innumerable interpretations, right? So, of course, it's possible to see these words not as like fully stand up, but more comical. And I think I've told you in the past that in some parts of the Christian tradition, that the book of Jonah is considered farcical, right? For our, for, we read it on, on Yom Kippur afternoon. I was once in an inter, in ecumenical training on bibliodrama and they couldn't, they, and I was teaching, I was learning the craft of bibliodrama with catechism teachers in Christian religious schools. And they couldn't believe that we read the book of Jonah on our holiest day because they learn it as, as, as farcical adjacent, right? Like a, like a Pinocchio story of, of someone being swallowed by a fish. Whereas we read it as the heaviest you know, lesson possible in terms of tshuva. So tone means a lot. Um, and also bias means a lot when you're reading a text and what you've been taught the text says. Barry, last comment, because we're over time. Uh, just just very briefly. Uh, so uh, in verse 10, uh, God told Moshe that uh, you're going to take the people out. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he, he, how was he going to take them out? They're, they're going to ask him, well, on what basis? So that's what this discussion is. He's already been told he's going to do this. Good. Good. So when we uh, meet next time, uh, because Rashi is actually quiet in this verse, we'll get to one of my favorite Rashis ever, um, which is on verse 14, and we'll start there next week. Have a great week, everybody. Koltu, be healthy, be happy. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.